KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Thank God it is finally Friday. Brian, what a week we've had. I want to agree with you, but uh, <laughs> given the, uh, I shouldn't laugh, the current state of the world, I don't know. I'm just kind of in a mode right now where it's like, hold my breath that we wake up and get through the next day, regardless of what day of the week it is. I hate to sound morbid, but that's where I'm at right now. I mean, that's fair. The news never stops, and this situation in uh, Ukraine is not going to take a break for the weekend. But, you know, we can all kind of step away from our phones for a little while and do some fun things over the weekend. We're going to talk about some of those options. Two of our passions, Brian, I know one of yours, one of mine, beer and theater. We've got that in store for you today. I'm Sabrina boyd I'm Brian Seltzer. We do have to start with the war between Ukraine and Russia, couple of updates. According to the New York Times, the Kremlin has said that it's ready for talks with Ukraine. And the Ukrainian president also said he's ready to discuss a neutral status. But at the same time, Russian forces entered Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, this morning. So uh, this isn't this is not over. I'm obviously reading headlines, Sabrina, and keeping tabs on the latest developments. But the things that I just can't get out of my mind are these images and videos and first-person accounts that we're seeing online, on social media. It's just the way that I'm wired. It's impossible for me not to think about what it would be like if if I were there or if I knew people who were there. I know that people out there do. It's just, uh, uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's terrifying to think about being under the threat of attack, just knowing, not knowing, what's going to happen or what's going to fall out of the sky. A lot of people who live here have family that they're worried about. There was a rally at the art museum yesterday. Hadas Kuznets was there. She talked to some people who are Ukrainian and some Russians who are living in the city and heard a little bit of what they're thinking. No one wants to hear the news that there's an active war in your country. Oresh Charambola is from Ukraine. He has lived in the Philadelphia area for 21 years and still has family there. So the thought of them being in danger... It's something you would never even thought of in your wildest dreams. Student Maria Galrud is from Russia. She says she does not support Vladimir Putin's actions. All opposition-minded people I was following, everyone was saying there won't be an invasion. Everyone was sure that that's impossible. It makes absolutely no sense. We were all wrong. Ukrainian-born Viktor Mikulin says Putin is using this moment to take more territory. And most probably he's going to take the whole eastern Ukraine. And the only way he's going to be held responsible is if Europe gradually stops using his gas and oil. Bankrupt him. Christina Schaefer, Velkins Park, says her Ukrainian family has been living under an ongoing feeling that Russia could invade across the border. Especially since 2014. So we've already felt that, but now it's 10 million times scarier and bigger and it it hits you right in the heart. Now, there was also another rally at City Hall this afternoon on Friday. I have a feeling that these rallies are not going to stop, and I hope they don't. We need to show our support for Ukrainians in the city, in Ukraine, just hoping and fighting for a resolution to this. Yeah, huge Ukrainian population in Philadelphia, in the northeast suburbs, whether it's the actual northeast or if you get into places like Huntington Valley, parts of Montgomery County. We heard from Matt Leon yesterday. He was recapping the interview he did with a couple of St. Joseph's professors who are experts in Ukraine and Russia and relations in that part of the world. And one thing that we kind of got into with Matt during his debrief, but he talks about more on the podcast on In Depth, 
is sanctions. Do they do anything? What type of sanctions work or could be most effective in this situation? And we're seeing right now the United States and other countries around the world, their immediate response is sanctions. We saw the ruble hitting record lows, but I think it's a long game thing, Sabrina, to see whether or not they're effective or just how effective they might be. Yeah, sanctions are one of those things that I feel like as an average citizen, I don't quite understand. You hear this word sanctions, but like, what does that actually mean? And sure, you can look at what exactly the sanctions are, but does that mean anything in the end? I mean, Putin doesn't really seem to be afraid of them. He certainly didn't. It certainly didn't stop him from attacking in the first place. Nina Baratti spoke with the president of the World Affairs Council of Philadelphia, Lauren Schwartz, and she kind of thinks that sanctions might not be enough. We need to think about what else the U.S. and NATO can do. Is it stronger sanctions? Is it investing our money in different places? Is it looking to the military? She said something that I think really put this whole thing into perspective. We've been watching it coming for a number of months, and now it's become real. It feels like a very scary moment in our history. We should think of them in solidarity and say, what if this happened to us? What if military buildup happened around our communities? That is something that I think about all the time. You know, I happen to have been born in America, but what if I happened to be born in Ukraine and I had to experience this? You know, when you think about it that way, I think it gets a little more personal and you can humanize all of this a bit more. I'm not sure if I can say this, but I have a friend who, when he talks about things like that, says it's the lucky sperm and egg situation where <laughs> just by luck or misfortune, you're born into certain circumstances and situations. And I think that's a humbling and grounded way to look at one's lot in life, especially if you have things to be fortunate about. Um, yeah, with sanctions, I know that some experts are saying that obviously Russia and gas, that's such an important subplot to all this. And with sanctions, pinpointing and focusing on gas in the long term, that might be a way to put some pressure on Russia. But at least right now in the early days of what's happening in the aftermath of this invasion, we here in the United States, one of the biggest consequences that we're going to feel is at the pump. Hadas Kuznets, as we talked about earlier, Sabrina, she's been all over so many different aspects on this story, talking to people. And she also spoke with Sal Rosalvado, who's the executive director of the New Jersey Gasoline Convenience Store and Automotive Association, and he gave her a picture of what we can expect in the immediate days ahead as far as gas prices. If there is a significant cutoff of oil because oil from Russia is not flowing to other countries, including the United States, then that could drive the price even further. A $5 a barrel increase could mean about a 15 or 20 cents a gallon increase in gasoline prices at the pump. Understandably, Sabrina, we've had all of our attention and focus professionally, and I'll say for me personally, the last 24, 48 hours on what's happening between Ukraine and Russia and the invasion. But if that weren't happening, <laughs> you've got to think that everyone here in the States, at least those people who follow politics, would be zeroing in on what's happening with the impending Supreme Court vacancy. And there were a bunch of reports that came out this morning saying that Joe Biden has made his pick. Ketanji Brown Jackson is the, the nominee. That's what we're hearing 
And Biden stayed true to his word. This is a black woman. She will be the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court if she is accepted. Back on January 26th, we had an episode of KYW News Radio in depth where Matt Leon spoke with Lisa Tucker. She is an associate law professor at the Thomas R. Klein School of Law on 12th and Chestnut, and she knows Jackson pretty well. Judge Jackson and I went to law school together. She is absolutely brilliant and has sort of done every step in her career that, you know, if you were to put together the model resume of a Supreme Court justice, she has it. She went to Harvard undergrad. She went to Harvard Law School. She clerked for three federal judges, including at the Supreme Court. She was on the Sentencing Commission. She was at the District Court. Now she's on the Federal Court of Appeals. She's kind of done it all. She's also young. She's 51. And I think probably most importantly of all with Judge Jackson is that she was just confirmed to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals And so she went through that confirmation process very easily, even got some Republican votes. And so I would think that given the problems that there have been with getting nominees through the Senate, one of President Biden's top considerations would have to be the ease of getting somebody through and the fact that, you know, it would be kind of hard not to confirm her now when they just confirmed her a few months ago. You just never know. One more thing to be keeping an eye on. The CDC is expected to ease mask mandates today. It sounds like masks will not be recommended indoors for most Americans. They might even have made this announcement by the time that you're listening to this podcast. That's, again, how quickly news changes. But basically, they're changing the metrics that they're using, where they were focusing on case counts. Now they're going to look at a more holistic view that includes hospitalizations and hospital capacity. Now, remember, CDC guidelines are not the same as the federal and state mandates. So you will still have to abide by whatever the law is, but usually those tend to follow whatever the CDC says. So that could be changing soon. All right. I think we can take some deep breaths, maybe exhale. We've gotten through some of the heavier lifting parts of today's episode. It is like we said at the top, Sabrina, just a roller coaster of a week. And maybe, I don't know, are we allowed to make, I think we are. Let's make some unilateral decisions. We are going to change the pace for you going in to the end of this episode to send you into the weekend. Yes, we got to end on something a little bit lighter. Uh, maybe some ways that we can all take a breather and de-stress. So we're going to talk about what Brian and I are doing over the weekend. That's, you know, a little bit more fun. We'll have that for you in just a minute. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. I got to do something super cool this week that I want to tell you about, Brian. You know I'm a theater nerd. I got the chance to learn an actual Broadway dance. I wouldn't pigeonhole yourself like that. I think you can just call yourself a theater enthusiast. Unless unless theater nerd is a term that is a point of pride. Proud of the nerd status. I'll, I'll own that. I'll own it. Okay. Um, a lot of you have listened and know that I do community theater, so... I thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity. I went to the Academy of Music earlier this week to chat with the cast members from Beautiful, which is the Carol King musical. It's on stage at the Academy of Music right now. I talked with Jamari Gill, who plays Little Eva and also one of the Shirelles. The Shirelles were a 50s girl group. And Edwin Bates is the dance captain. He plays one of the Drifters, another 50s R&B group. Both of those groups, Carol King wrote music for, so that's why they're in the show. So it is all Carol King's music, but it's also about her life and the story, 
the story and the music combined, I have not seen this show, but from what I understand, that's what makes it really beautiful. No pun intended. Edwin explained a little bit of what the show is all about. It's just a lovely story to kind of lose yourself in. It just follows her life from being a teen, um, developing a love for songwriting, and just the, uh, the, the struggles as a young woman trying to prove yourself in an industry that is, was just so male-dominated. Um, and she did it, and very, very young. So, of course, if you know Carol King's music, it has a lot of songs that you will probably know. You've got a friend, One Fine Day. But there are also a bunch that you might not know that Carol King actually wrote. Jamari gave an example. One song in particular that um, the audience and me myself that I didn't know Carol King wrote was um, Natural Woman that was sung by Aretha Franklin. Um, and, you know, seeing the audience be unraveled in that experience, I think it makes our experience as performers so much better because we truly get to, like, share that with them when they, when they hear, oh, Natural Woman. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, I love this song. So I think it's, it's a special place to be, you know, on stage and, you know, share it with them. They both talked about the importance of human connection in this show, the way that the characters interact and the way that the actors interact and kind of form a family backstage and how that comes across on stage. The audience, they, we, they feel how much we love each other as a, as a cast as well. It's such an incredible show. I love being a part of it and being able to share it. Yeah, I'm so glad that you spoke about the heart. Like, as a part of the cast and also kind of zooming out as the dance captain, getting to witness um, just the connections between people on stage. I haven't, in my career so far, had an experience quite like this where the connection behind the scenes really does translate on stage in the way that you witness these people interacting with each other, even when, in reality, they wouldn't particularly interact. They said this story is really a story of resilience, which, you know, is something that we all have had to have, whether you're going through personal stuff or just the pandemic right now, the news that we talked about at the top of this episode can feel like a lot and that Carol King's life kind of echoes that in a lot of ways. It's a special way of just being able to express what she really went through and how to be resilient, how to be strong and be grounded, stand for yourself. We've all been going through so much dealing with uh, the pandemic and also just her personal struggles uh, aside from the pandemic. It's just nice to escape and invest in a story about a really strong, uh, powerful person in an industry that wasn't quite as inviting of them. So it's just nice to be reminded that even if you have adversity and things against you, that if you persist and if you are good at what you do, the cream will rise to the top. And it's just that kind of story. And it's nice to see that and hopefully encourages people that get to see it. Now, as I said before, Edwin is the dance captain. He talked to me a little bit about the choreography that's involved in the show. And he said he really enjoyed learning dance styles from a different time. It has an, um, like, like an old school quality in the way that we attack it. And it's just really nice to dance in a style uh, in a, uh, that's not particularly this time. So rehearsals are a lot of style-based, like really getting the groove into your body in a way that isn't particularly um, as prominent in dance now. So it's just really understanding what this particular show requires. And I got to try one of those dances. Everybody 
Nice. So, fun fact, Carol King actually wrote The Locomotion. You know that song, Brian? Have you? Of course, yes. We're, we're of the generation that probably knows this and probably has danced to conga lines to The Locomotion at several weddings. Now I think it's all like cha-cha slide and Cupid shuffle, but it was kind of one of the original like group, group dances like that. So yeah, I got to do the locomotion. Step together, step and flip. Yeah, is that right? You're not really fun. It was really cool. It was fun learning. I think they were kind of surprised. They didn't know that I was going to like be able to pick up on choreography quickly. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I did take dance lessons for 10 years. Not quite enough to get me Broadway level, but enough to, to pick this up. Um, so it was just... A really good time. Holly Stevens came with me and took some video, which we are definitely going to put up on our Twitter page if you want to see uh, how I could stand up against actual Broadway touring actors. <laughs> are the theater shows that you are in, do they involve a lot of dancing? Do you have a significant amount of dancing reps? Brian, that is my key to getting cast in these shows. I go for the dancing shows I mean, they all have some amount of dancing in them. And so anytime they're like, we need dancers, I'm like, cool, I can moderately sing, but I can definitely dance. <laughs> that is tremendous. I feel like if I were to even try one of those things, all right, we're going to try a real segue here. If I were to try one of those dances, I would need some ABVs in me. I think that's the only way that I could even <laughs> remotely try to execute. You know, something like a, <laughs> have you ever heard of the HDHC Triple Broccoli Special Reserve. Broccoli? That I have not heard of that. Well, this one brewery, Other Half. If they're craft beer people out there, you know Other Half, and you know that one of the big parts of their whole thing is not only do they brew fantastic beers, they have these really funny, creative, silly names. And Other Half has just opened a brand new location right here in our great beer-schwilling city, of Philadelphia. Very exciting. It's on the edge of Fishtown and the complex right where uh, Frankfurt Avenue hits Columbus Boulevard, you know, the Brooklyn Bowl's down there, uh, the Fillmore, and now other half has taken over the location that used to be where Goose Island was. It's a really great space. Not only is the inside cool and neat and clean, but there's this great big lawn patio area out front. But it's open now. You can go into the bar, you can drink there, you can take out some tubes, some cans, and I was like, I need something, something uh, to give me the good juju, the good feelings after a week like this. So I spoke with <laughs> Andrew Berman. He is the CEO and one of the three co-founders of Other Half. And we talked about what it was like for Other Half to get to Philly and open up at the old Goose Island spot last weekend. Transparently, we were looking at Philly from about 2015, 16 on. Uh, we looked at a space up in like really, really north Kensington. And it just wasn't right for us. Uh, we sort of turned our attention to that DC project we have. Um, and then um, this, this Goose Island space sort of fell into our laps a little bit. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, we might have a chance at this. Because uh, it was like sort of like a, a running for it. And everybody had to give their best options. And uh, we sort of won. So we're really excited to be here. And um, it's just last weekend when we opened such a great, a great uh, you know, welcome for us. And even last night being here was awesome. If people aren't familiar with the facility that you guys are occupying now, the old Goose Island spot, there are actual tanks there to brew beer. So are there going to be special brews just brewed here in Philly, special releases specific to the yep. location there? Exactly. Exactly. We are uh, we have our first beer coming out, I think, uh, next week, 
you're just trying to make sure it's okay. Um, your first brews on a new system are very uh, finicky. Um, and so we're trying to get uh, a grasp of how, how they taste and everything like that. Um, we, sh- we should have some stuff coming out and there will be uh, Johns coming out of, of specific Philly beers and we'll be excited about it. <laughs> Sabrina, do you have a favorite beer, brewery type of beer? You know, I don't know. I don't really like to pick favorites, but I will say there is a craft brewery up in Massachusetts, right near where my family lives. Treehouse Brewery. You may have heard of it. Of course. When I visit, I always have to bring some back because you can't get it anywhere else. It's not in stores. So that's it. That is a a go-to for me. Now, when you say other half or treehouse, people who know their craft beer can immediately think of a taste palette. But there's also people out there who have never heard of other half, probably. You're listening like, why are we so crazy about this beer? And here's how Andrew describes what other half does and what they brew. You know, I think what, what we're known for is whatever we say on the label, it tastes like that. Uh, we pride ourselves on getting the best hops in the world. Well, another half beer is another half beer because when you, when you pick it up, you sort of like taste it. And you look at the label and you're like, wow, that's, that's, that tastes like that. <laughs> I think something else that I really like about what Other Half is all about these days, I don't know if you heard about this, but in May of last year, a woman who worked at a brewery in Massachusetts, kind of through social media and on Instagram, pulled back the curtain on a lot of ugliness taking place behind the scenes in craft brewing. Uh, Homophobia, uh, gender issues, lack of racial representation, just a lot of ugly stuff. So if you're on Other Half's website, which I didn't realize previously until I was getting ready to talk with Andrew, they have a link to what they say is their code of conduct. And it gets into not just their mission statement, but a very clear, definitive set of values that they want their company to live and breathe in the aftermath of what was kind of a moment of reckoning for the craft beer industry. When this all happened last year, we, we knew that um, as a leader in the industry, we had to uh, stand up a little bit and sort of lead. We, we definitely are not without faults. We're all trying to get better. But I think we were looking at this and we we're like, what can we show to our staff, to our employees, to our customer base, where we stand? And this code of conduct made it something that we um, now can put on our website and now put on our festivals and now put uh, across um, at the entrances of all of all locations. So, you know, whether you're a customer, you treat people or, or staff, you treat people with respect. And regardless of what they believe or whatever you believe, it's it's a respect for the, the people that work there and each other. And so we thought we think it's important and we continue to think it's important. And we one of the things that we're really trying to do is is to live that as well. Um, we do have our women's forums. Uh, we do are really heavily involved in the Michael Jackson Foundation for brewing and distilling. We are really, you know, trying to to live that code as well. Do you think progress has been made in the industry within the last ten months or so? I I don't know if progress is the word I'd use. I feel like there was a lot of calling people out and a lot of of, of things that needed to be called out. But what we're really trying to focus on is what's next, what we can do with what's happened, and move forward. And that's where we're really focusing a lot of our energy is is to to get better to get get our you know everyone involved with other educated and more um, aware of what's happening in workplaces and what's happening in bars and what's happening with people that need a you know specific groups that need a little uh, that need more recognition yeah i just thought the code of conduct thing very cool and to that point if you go on other half's philly specific 
Instagram. It's at other half Philly. You'll see that they're having a call out for open positions at the new tap room and brewery. They have an open call next Wednesday. That's March the 2nd from 1 to 4. They're looking to hire full-time and part-time employees. They want to create a really diverse community representative of Philadelphia. If you can't make it to the open call next Wednesday, you can email resumes to jobs at otherhalfbrewing.com. Awesome. Sounds like a really good environment, really supportive and great beer. We're going to get out of here now. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. Have a great weekend, everyone. We will see you on Monday.